0: Hi there, and welcome to Social Capital Matters. I'm your host, Kylie Taylor. On this show, we take a deep dive into the ideas around social capital by talking to business and industry leaders about how they use it to collaborate with stakeholders and build a framework for long-term success. Hi, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Social Capital Matters. This week, we have another great conversation with another leader in the area of social capital. I'm joined by my producer, Greg, in Bangkok. Greg, how are you doing?
1: Hey, Kylie, I'm doing fine. Excited to talk to our guest today because she's going to be discussing uh, an area that has very big ramifications for companies, whether they're big or small. So I'm excited to get into it. Why don't you lead us into it and uh, introduce our guest?
0: Absolutely. Today, I'm talking to Melissa O'Neill. Melissa is one of Australia's leading corporate affairs professionals. She's played a critical role in advising senior executives on public affairs, sustainability, reputation management, and issues and crisis communications. She is passionate about getting organizations and their leadership teams to take a holistic view encompassing all their various stakeholder groups. She's high energy, she's passionate, she's resilient. I love working with her. So let's have a chat with Melissa O'Neill. Hi, Melissa, and welcome to Social Capital Matters. It's a pleasure to have you here.
2: Hi, Kylie. It's great to be here today with you.
0: Mel, you've had an extraordinary career in a range of corporate affairs roles in what I consider some of the most complex and challenging industries. When I think about it, you've been in resources, energy, now infrastructure, you've been in banking and finance, retail, supermarkets, and of course, when we had the opportunity to work together in wine. I'd be interested to hear from you, over that 25-year career, what have been some of the biggest shifts you've seen in our profession?
2: Yeah, it's an interesting question. And I think in some ways, everything has changed. And in other ways, uh, many things have stayed the same. So if I think about what's really changed, I think the erosion of trust across all of our major Mm. institutions is a really big factor and I think a really big factor for corporate affairs professionals to be thinking about. I think sort of the rise of social media, I mean, Kylie, when you and I started our careers, we weren't having to deal with social media and we certainly weren't dealing with a 24 by 7 news cycle, which I think has really been a major game, uh, a game changer. I think there's greater scrutiny on businesses and greater demand for transparency as that environment has really shifted. Um, And I think companies are expected to do far more than what they ever were in terms of, you know, managing stakeholders, thinking about the issues in their operating environment as well as running their business. We are definitely in an age where it's about authenticity, about values and about an organization's purpose. But at the same time, some things have stayed very much the same. I mean, good communication is still good communication. I mean, I came up through the ranks of journalism, uh, where it really was about being able to tell great stories. And, you know, you went into your job every day thinking about listening and engaging, thinking about what a great story looked like, what it sounded like. And I think, you know, being able to communicate in a really timely way and with clarity, and in a way that really engages your audience and is audience first, is is still as important as ever.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. The idea that so many things have changed, but when you peel all that back and look at some of the core skills Um, they're still the same. And I think what you said about journalism training is really important. We constantly um, bring people into our business with a journalistic background. And we find that people with a journalistic background have that skill set of taking in a vast amount of information, understanding how it sits in a complex environment, synthesizing it, getting to the core of a matter and then communicating it really, really clearly. So I would totally agree with that. So let's let's keep talking about the skills that the corporate affairs professional needs today. How do you think those skills have changed or as well as those core skills, are there some new skills that are required?
2: Look, I think corporate affairs leaders need to be many things. And I think it's not so much about New skills. I mean, there are obviously new skills from a technical perspective, but when I think about it from a leadership perspective, I think the fundamental skills are still the same. I think some of them are much more amplified. I think there's no question we are in a far more complex operating environment, and the sheer pace of business means that most of the time corporate affairs people need to be across many more things right like you just think about the geopolitical oper- environment in which many of our businesses are operating i think that's a great example of where there has been some shifts i think corporate affairs leaders first and foremost need to be curious need to be really socially aware. You know, I often sort of talk about good corporate affairs people have one foot inside the business and one foot outside of the business, and I think that's never been truer. You know, socially aware, great cultural literacy, a really clear view in terms of where stakeholders are sitting, what's important to stakeholders, but that has to be kind of offset by a really deep understanding of the business and the sector in which you're operating in. And then I certainly know from my own experience, if you are adaptable, have high energy and really passionate about what you're doing, I think I think that's, um, that's something that can really catch people out. I think we're expected to be across the breadth of our businesses as well as the depth of our businesses and we're expect to have a really deep understanding of the operating environment and in some cases not just in your own country but if you're in a global role or a multinational thinking about the broader the broader operating environment
0: I think it's that um, business acumen that you just brought into that, that is so critical for corporate affairs to be adding value at the top table, to be seen, to be adding value to the business. You really need to show that you understand the business and how communications, crisis communications, issues management actually result in, in a stronger business outcome and enabling the business to
2: achieve its strategy. I think so and, you know, it's something anyone who knows me has heard me talk about um, endlessly is that good corporate affairs, good communications people need to spend time, really invest time understanding their businesses and the business strategy. Strategic and commercial acumen cannot be underrated Uh, and, you know, I, I just think it's probably one of the most important skills that that we have if you want to be taken seriously at the at the leadership table you've got to be able to speak the same language as those leaders and understand what's keeping them awake at night and bring i think a real richness to the quality of the conversation you need them to be having when they're thinking about the external environment because reputation you know in some ways and social licenses You know, we've got more tools at our disposal when I think about technology and social media, but it's increasingly complex to kind of navigate that. Uh, And so, yeah, deep understanding of the business is really critical. So as well as
0: understanding the business really well, when we look outside the business, our job is very much around stakeholders. And you and I have have talked a lot about stakeholders and their role in organisations. I I think what started changing things for me anyway was that um, Larry Fink letter um, that he wrote to all the BlackRock portfolio company CEOs, and I think it was 2017, and it was seen as quite a watershed moment because he talked about encouraging all the companies That BlackRock was invested in to have a greater responsibility to all stakeholders and I think the reason that got so much attention was because for the first time a very commercial organization that creates great value for its shareholders was putting stakeholders ahead of shareholders then a few years later we had the Davos Manifesto calling for a better kind of capitalism where a company serves all its stakeholders Um, Have you seen this kind of thinking permeate the boardrooms and leadership teams that you're working with? I think we have a
2: lot to thank, Larry Fink, for in a lot of ways. I think those of us who have been around for a little while have always always understood the importance of really good stakeholder management and engagement, but I think it's definitely shifted. I think that goes without saying. I, I think increasingly and I think particularly the last you know 10 years or so there has been a definite shift uh, in terms of boards and leadership teams thinking about the role of stakeholders and how they engage and i think how they engage on you know the broader issues and i and i i think that is a really really significant really significant shift i think part of that's been driven by an increased focus on ESG and sustainability and I think part of it has also been driven by the fact that stakeholders now, stakeholders have a lot of different ways to engage with businesses now. You know, once upon a time that wasn't the case, but now a stakeholder can jump onto social media and really share very quickly an opinion they have about an organisation or, or a person within the organisation when it comes to our leaders and and members of our board. I think it's also important to remember that businesses no longer or they probably never have operated in a vacuum. You know we're part of everything's interconnected and when we think about issues like ESG and sustainability many of us are trying to work out how we work together to solve some of those big problems. So if I think about my time in wine and think about sustainability, for example. You know, our, our customers and our people were at the forefront of a lot of the discussions around what does it mean to be able to feel really comfortable about buying a wine that's sustainable, either in the way that it's been produced, the way that it's packaged, the way that it goes to market. I think if I think about my time in energy and think about you know, where we were making investment decisions on the energy distribution network, you know, an increasing need to really have those conversations and involve communities in those decisions. And that was driven, I think, by the business, by government, but also by communities themselves in terms of having a very different level of expectation around their ability to show up and be part of those conversations. And then I think if I look at my current role here in Worley where, you know, we're right at the centre of the energy transition, I think our organisation is very conscious about our responsibility to be part of a conversation around what that energy transition looks like um, and how we participate with stakeholders and collaborate with stakeholders to actually solve some of those problems. So I do feel like it has it has definitely shifted, and I think organizations and boards are thinking about risk, and they're thinking about opportunity, and I think they're thinking about how do we solve some of these challenges that many businesses are facing, and we're actually so much um, better equipped to tackle those when we do it together uh, as a as a coalition.
0: The whole idea of um, stakeholder primacy, or it it goes by many names. It's um, social license to operate, bringing a stakeholder lens to all decisions or working for the benefit of all stakeholders, not just shareholders. In practical terms, how do you see businesses making stakeholders more central to the business? What are they actually changing or doing differently to make that possible?
2: I think businesses, and certainly the businesses I've been involved in, I think are thinking much more deeply about who their stakeholders actually are, what are the sort of issues and expectations they have. And I think that is about, you know, talking to stakeholders, really engaging, really listening to what they've got to say, and businesses starting to think very differently about where do we engage and how do we engage. I think the tools that are now available to to deeply engage have changed you know significantly thanks to technology like when you think about citizens juries and other public participation type processes that are out there I think the process of engaging is is really different now it's still it's still challenging it's still having to to make decisions and think about You know, who are you engaging with? What do you want to engage with them on? Where are they at? Meeting expectations, their expectations, and meeting them where they are actually at, um, and thinking about what are the tools uh, that you can deploy to actually make those conversations as rich as possible. And I think increasingly we're seeing organisations really take that feedback on board and actually think about how they bring that in to their decision making in a very tangible, in a very tangible way, right? So whether that's where are we going to put infrastructure, how are we going to develop the infrastructure, um, you know, what are the things we need to be mindful of, I think those conversations are much more real. You know, once upon a time we we talked about let's inform stakeholders, we talked about let's consult stakeholders. I think we're seeing organisations, particularly in some sectors, really coming up that maturity curve and thinking about how can we collaborate to drive a better outcome, not just for the business, but for the community or the customer and other stakeholders. Um, and I think I think we'll continue to see more of it. I think the landscape has really changed. I think the other thing is that employees have a very different set of expectations yep. agreed. Of their, agreed of their employers. And I think that is just going to accelerate. you know when you think about how you retain, but more importantly in, in tight labor markets, how you attract talent, um, people want to work for organizations that share their values and their sense of purpose. And so I think employees have an expectation that organisations will consult with them on issues that matter, but also consult with the people around them or people want to feel really proud of the organisation that they work with. We see organisations
0: embracing this idea of stakeholder primacy, but I'm sure like me, you've also seen examples that it sort of becomes less convenient when there's other pressures on the business, be it financial pressure or some other situation that they're dealing with. And then it sort of swings back again to being more about the shareholders. Um, Do you see that? And do you think we're going to keep seeing that sort of um, swinging of the pendulum as we go on this development journey?
2: Yeah, I think it's a really interesting point. I, I think none of this is ever a, a linear kind of process, right? Maturity doesn't happen in a nice, neat fashion. So I think the pendulum will continue to swing. I think there are a lot of good intentions. I I think what's really important for businesses to understand is that you have to take the good with the bad. And often when thing when the going gets tough is actually when you need to engage more, not less. Um, and I think this is about organizations really thinking about long-term management of risk, long-term management of opportunities, and thinking deeply about the long-term. Trajectory of their business. What does it mean to be a sustainable business and be able to navigate that environment? So, in my look, I think every business is different. Every issue can be different, but in my experience, the organizations that kind of double down on engagement and really think deeply about it when the going gets tough are the organizations that tend to kind of do this well, do it consistently, uh, and and benefit. You know. Sometimes when the going gets tough is when you get the best results.
0: You've sort of answered my next question because I was going to ask you about the commercial drivers of social capital because some people think it's um, social capital or putting – Stakeholders first is a kind of social good or charitable act or some form of modern wokeism, but it's not. It is in the long-term business interests. Um, how, How do you get business leaders to see that spending time with the stakeholders and really looking at the business and how it benefits the stakeholder groups is actually a commercial imperative and not just some nice thing to do?
2: So I think the first thing is being able to talk the language of your business. <laughs> I think that that's actually first and foremost, and it sounds like a really simple thing, but it's often something I think we over, overlook. I think it's also important to talk about it in the context of commercial opportunity and risk, right? And I'll come back to uh, the idea that reputation is, is something that's actually held and nurtured by our stakeholders, not by us. And so I think part of the trick is always about how do you bring the outside in? How do you do that expectations gap analysis? So, you know, I often think about who are the conversations that I need to have with stakeholders externally to understand where they're sitting on a particular issue and what are their perceptions of our organisation? What are we doing well? Where are we not meeting the expectation gap? But also, what are the things that aren't making sense to our stakeholders? Then I think it's often about how do you take that back into the into the business and align it back to strategic objectives and where organisations want to get to and kind of package it up in that context. I also think then that gives you the opportunity to kind of really articulate what's the cost of not doing this and not doing it well because often there is a cost and then also what's the gain for the organization what's the benefit for the business in terms of strategic objectives and outcomes that we can actually capture and maybe not just capture but actually leverage and amplify by actually working with our stakeholders so i think it starts with bringing the inside outside in and it starts with you know also really deeply understanding the business and i think the the really the challenge for corporate affairs people is then how do you bring the two together to structure a conversation that captures the attention of of business leaders inside the organisation, but also help them understand, help them understand and unpack what that opportunity or risk actually actually looks like.
0: I I think in that last little bit, you said you've really encapsulated the role of a good corporate affairs head. It's to be in the business, deep in the business, speak the language of the business and understand the business drivers and what value the business is driving for. But uh, you said before, one foot out, and I really like that. But you've also got to be the person in the leadership team that keeps that external view, that um, has lots of conversations externally, works with the right advisors, looks at the research, talks to people, and can actually, um, I often say, put a mirror up to the leadership team and reflect what society is thinking about the business or the context that the business is in. Because quite often um, when you're working with people in an organization, they're so deep in the organization, in their industry, they just can't see it. So I I thought you encapsulated that um, one foot in, one foot out, outside in thinking, um, really well. That's why I think we all we're a bit bipolar, aren't we? Corporate <laughs> affairs people.
2: Well, and I think organisations like people have blind spots, right? Like no organisation can know everything about every stakeholder, um, and so I think that holding the mirror up and opening up those blind spots so the organisation can really understand them in terms of what it means for the business. I, I think is actually is actually really important. Now, I knew we
0: weren't going to have this conversation today without talking about sustainability and ESG in some way. Um, you've led sustainability functions in several organisations as part of your remit as a corporate affairs head. How do you see the relationship between sustainability or ESG and corporate affairs?
2: Yeah, look, I think there are, it's a it's there it's a really important partnership, right? And in some some organisations, sustainability and corporate affairs sit side by side, and in some organisations they're brought together in the one function. I think there is no question that ESG is is high on the agenda for not just businesses but stakeholders. And often I think as we think about values and purpose and what organisations really stand for, like where do they really want to step up and what are the spaces that they want to own, that it comes back to your organization's corporate positioning. And so often you can't divorce one from the other um, so I think where corporate affairs really plays well is thinking about what's the right ESG positioning, What are the opportunities and the risks? And how do you avoid how do you avoid greenwashing? How do you avoid overselling your sustainability credentials? How do you make sure that your sustainability priorities actually are not just your priorities, but actually are the priorities of the stakeholders around you. You know, when we think about doing materiality assessments, we're wanting to understand what's important to our stakeholders as much as what's important to our business. And so then how do you differentiate and get cut through? And how do you do that in a way that's really considered and meaningful? You know, if I think about the last couple of years, most organisations want to talk about their sustainability credentials Um you know talk about the great work they're doing and sometimes you run the risk of organisations sounding very much the same and so really thinking about how does your sustainability agenda align to your stakeholder your stakeholder expectations what are you actually going to do that's going to have a meaningful impact what are the areas that you are going to own and drive How do you measure your performance so that you're walking the talk every step of the way I think is really, really important? And then how do you take that out to the external stakeholder um, set to actually share? You know, I think one of the things around sustainability that's really interesting is everyone's trying to learn, learn from everyone else and I think there is... That's where corporate affairs can also help sustainability teams in thinking about how do you show up and where do you show up to have those conversations around sustainability. So I think it's a really critical space and I think the idea of greenwashing, I mean I remember sort of 20 years ago in BHP we were talking about greenwashing and I think it's still a really, really critical issue that organisations I think are still having to wrestle with. There's a, this real challenge between what do we take to market in terms of our sustainability credentials versus kind of the scrutiny and the transparency that stakeholders expect when it comes to sustainability performance.
0: Um, you, I think um, the partnership between communications and sustainability is critical and you talked about that. One of the ways I've explained it is... Um, in communications or corporate affairs, we are the custodians of the narrative and ESG or sustainability, I tend to use those terms interchangeably, is um, a really important part of the narrative right now. So there's no question that they're incredibly interlinked.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, as I said, for for the most part, sustainability is becoming a core piece of an organization's external positioning. So to your point, you know, the narrative of an organisation is just intrinsically kind of connected to your sustainability agenda and I think that's not just environmental but it's also social. Right. So it's the E and the S as well as the G. I think what's really important is that sustainability and corporate affairs are really well connected where they're not in the same function. So that, you know, sustainability teams bring a real lens around the changing landscape of sustainability in terms of, you know, measurement, transparency, sustainability ratings, you know, performance. You know, they're often deep technical experts within those teams. Corporate affairs is the translator, right, translating that activity and performance into a narrative and a position that the organisation can then really talk with authority to stakeholders, including their customers and their people.
0: Now I want to ask you to look into your crystal ball. Do you have a good crystal ball on the future? I know
2: about that, Kylie. <laughs> some might get right
0: and some might get wrong. <laughs> oh, well, I was going to ask you to look into your crystal ball and tell me what you think the next 10 and 20 years holds for us. Um, everyone's now talking about Gen Alpha. I've got to catch up because I was still thinking about the Zs. But, you know, what are you expecting from Gen Alpha?
2: Yeah, I mean, that is a big question. What is Gen Alpha going to look like? Look, I'm not sure, but I think we're going to see another really seismic shift. So I think they are going to be, I mean, they're obviously going to be digital natives. I think that goes without saying. But when we think about the emerging use of AI and how that's going to start to really quickly influence the way we work, but also the way we learn, um, I think that cohort is going to be better educated. Uh, I think they're going to have a very different set of expectations around organisations. I think they're probably also uh, going to be the generation, you know, because they're children now that have gone through these COVID, COVID lockdowns and, and COVID shutdowns in terms of the impact that that might have on them as well in terms of how they connect um, either through technology and face-to-face. So, I look, I think they're going to have a very different set of expectations around how tech solutions, how tech, sorry, delivers solutions to them. And I, I think strap ourselves in because I think they're going to look incredibly different to even Gen Z. I think you're so true, Mel. And one of the
0: exciting things about the future is Gen Alpha will be the CEOs in the future. They'll be making the decisions, these digital natives that have grown up with AI, with the planet, with the awareness that we certainly didn't have at that time. And I think that is going to be... Really exciting, and I hope we're around to see a lot of it. Now, in wrapping up today, we like to ask people for one final thought as a sort of takeaway. And listening to you, I'm thinking if there's anyone listening to our podcast today who's thinking, I'd really like to take a more stakeholder oriented approach in my business or in my company, but I don't know how to get started, what would your words of advice be? How does someone get started on this journey to start making their organisation more stakeholder-oriented?
2: So what I would say is no one-size-fits-all, Kylie, and I think every organisation looks different in this space. We've talked about needing to understand the business, but the thing I would love to leave people with is to be curious, to be courageous, be a bit bold, you know, sometimes just starting where you are is the best possible place to start. Pick up the phone, talk to some stakeholders, challenge yourself to really ask stakeholders what are their perception of you? And if you can't do that and you want to think about it in a really programmatic perspective, I would be bringing someone in to help you unpack that. You know, if I think about my time in other organisations, having an independent third party to actually help you go out and do that research with stakeholders and really bring you back an informed and objective and balanced perspective around how your organisation is perceived brings a huge amount of authority and credibility to that outside-in perspective and more importantly gives you insights, thematics, to help you navigate how you're going to sell that back into your business and align it back to your business strategy.
0: I love that. Start by listening. That's Start got, by listening. That's got to be a great approach. Mel, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today about this. And I know you've come off an incredibly busy week, including an investor day. So um, you have a lot of things on your plate, but it's, it's been great to talk to you. It's always great to talk to you. And thanks for your time.
2: Oh, thanks, Kylie. It's been a real pleasure.
0: Hi, Greg. I thought that interview with Mel was really good. It's, it's a slightly different perspective to the other interviews we've done because Mel is an in-house corporate affairs practitioner and that's what she's mm-hmm. been doing for, for the bulk of her career. And to hear about social capital from her perspective and the priority she's putting on stakeholders, I think really rounds out our series of interviews in this podcast series.
1: It was really nice listening to her. The word that kept popping into my mind when she was talking was fractal because everything she was talking about, I mean, you could go deeper and deeper and deeper. And there was so many layers to to the topics she was discussing. It was really interesting. I love what she said about, uh, she, I think the quote was, our reputation is nurtured by our stakeholders. And I think it's really important to just keep that in mind at all times, because it doesn't matter how loud you yell, you can scream until you're blue in the face about how great you are. But at the end of the day, it's all about the stakeholders and what they think of you. So I yes, think that's good to keep in mind.
0: Perception is in the eye of the beholder.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, How
0: true that is. Yeah, very much so. Thanks for listening, everyone. Make sure to check out the other episodes in our series, Exploring the Brightest Minds and Most Important Issues in the World of Social Capital.
1: Social Capital Matters has been a production of Baldwin Boyle Group, hosted by Kylie Taylor and produced and edited by Greg Jorgensen. Find more episodes in our ongoing series on baldwinboyle.com slash podcasts, watch on YouTube, or listen wherever you find your podcasts.